Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Racetrack. I am Molly Jo Rosen alongside some amazing friends on the Believe Network the number one podcast platform for professionals. In a move that surprises no one except the select few folks who still don't understand how viruses like COVID are transmitted, Breeders' Cup has followed in the hoofprints of the Kentucky Derby and upcoming Preakness and decided to run without fans this year. Only those directly connected to the horse, i.e. the owners, will be allowed to attend. The event, which is the American End of Season Championships, will be held at Keeneland in Lexington, Kentucky on November 6 and 7. What began in 1984 with seven races worth $10 million, or the equivalent of about $25 million today, is now 14 races worth a whopping $31 million. This makes it among, if not the, richest single day in sports in North America. The coolest thing about Breeders' Cup is that there's a division for everyone. Want to see colts go short on the dirt, but also older mares go long on the grass? We do that. Or how about fantastic Europeans shipping in to take on American turf stars at a mile? We do that too. Or three-year-olds taking on older horses, usually for the first time in the classic. Yep, we have 14 divisions filled with racing's biggest stars, some, sometimes many of whom, are then off to their next careers in the breeding shed. So before y'all go betting on the big day, why not take the time to understand what is going on below the hooves? It might seem technical and not your thing, but I believe that an educated better is a better better. Plus, you can totally impress your friends with weird factoids about phases of the stride. Plus, I'm the queen of saying we don't have a sport if we don't have the horse, but taking that one literal step further, we don't have a sport if we don't run the ponies on something. So we'll take a look back at some surfaces, and then also, speaking of betting, we'll do a quick recap of the major bet types for a nice little refresher as well. But before we get rolling on the show, no matter how you found us, and I'm certainly glad you did, thank you in advance for liking and subscribing and commenting and sharing and whatever else it is you can do from whatever podcast platform you found us on. Plus, you can join the conversation and tell us what you want to know and who you want to hear from at beyondtheracetrack.com. Now, let's load into the gate and get to talking ponies. Sports are back, and you can take full advantage by getting in on the action with hundreds of odds and futures and prop bets with our friends at betonline.ag. There's also all the games to be played in the casino, because it never closes. NFL is back, and so are all the prop bets. Whether you want to play first half score, or total touchdowns, or which position scores for first points... There are a hundred ways to bet the games, all from the palm of your hand. Head on over to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's a 50% match on sports and a 100% match on the casino, and you can even make it in Bitcoin. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Remember to wager responsibly. Before you ask... Yes, this is literal ground we've covered on this show before, but I think it's important to understand what the sport is all about, and if you need big fancy words to describe my take on this, call it a holistic approach. 
To recap, there are three main surfaces we run thoroughbreds over. Dirt, turf, and synthetic, meaning a blend of wax or rubber fibers. Quarter horses run only on dirt, and there's a whole different type of dirt that harness horses run on. Europe and Australian races run mostly on grass with the occasional synthetic, and I believe Asia runs on all three as well. It's also important to remember that racehorses are 1,200-pound animals running 45 miles an hour around hairpin turns in a herd on four ankles as big as the human wrist. So when we talk about a surface being safe, we're referring to one that creates optimal conditions for the load borne on the skeletal system. Even over perfect ground, the basic mechanics of a horse's gait puts pressure on the bones, muscles, and ligaments throughout the leg. When the footing they're moving over is inconsistent, it can be a recipe for disaster. So what do we mean when we say stride? This is the motion created because as each foot touches the ground, it momentarily stops, but the momentum of the body keeps moving forward, which propels the foot off the ground again. There are four key phases of each leg's locomotion. One, the primary impact or concussion phase, when the hoof makes first contact with the ground. Two, the secondary impact, or the slide and stop. Three, the amount of force generated mid-stance between stop and propulsion. And four, the rollover as the hoof leaves the ground again. The hardness of the track influences how quickly the foot is decelerated and the stiffness of the track when the load is being applied. Hard tracks generate a large impact force and high frequency vibrations due to the rapid deceleration of the hoof. Meanwhile, on a soft track, the deceleration occurs over a longer time, reducing the rate of strain on the hoof. It's also important to understand that individual biomechanics and conformation play a huge role because the angles of pasterns and fetlocks and ankles all determine just how much joint load there is. Probably the most important and underrated thing about racing surfaces is that the track must be uniformly maintained and as even as possible in order to achieve a necessary consistency from stride to stride because, as Mick Peterson, head of the Racing Surfaces Testing Lab, has said, quote, a horse can adapt to a hard track, a soft track, a cuppy track, really any kind of surface, but if you tell me that one stride to another is going to be different, then the horse really doesn't have a chance. So what does it mean to actually build a track? While the design of the cushion and base theoretically depends on the climate and materials of a region, reality is more that how it's put together is dependent on the particular designer. That said, according to a Racing Surfaces Testing Lab paper, there are three basic configurations. One, a shallow sand track with a solid base. Two, a sand and clay track with a pad that is maintained on a regular basis. And three, a track with a developed base that has a shallow sand or a sand and clay track material that is laid over a base that is not disturbed on a regular basis. But what about turf, you might be asking? Well, the trick with a turf course is that it's not as simple as backing up the truck at your neighborhood home improvement store and buying the sod you'd lay down in your lawn to stay homeowners association compliant. Nope. It's more than that. A primary distinction between turf tracks will be the degree of compaction in the growing medium and the strength of the associated root system, which will affect both the hardness and the shear strength of the soil. Grass also requires aeration and other mechanical means to maintain a softer top layer and open the surface to increase the permeability to optimally reduce load concerns. 
The next time you go to the races, I encourage you to stand as close to eye level with the main track as you can. You'll see something you probably never realized. Much like Earth, it ain't flat. You hear a lot about slope and banking if you watch NASCAR, and it's the same in our type of horsepower, too. Though 2% is most common, some tracks have as little as a 1% grade to even their flattest parts, with the inside rail being the lowest point. This allows the top surface of the track to be compacted with a float so that water won't stand, but instead drain towards the inside rail. Even though it can be harder to maintain, Wider tracks will have a crown in the middle so that the outside quarter to third of the track will drain towards the outside rail, which helps to reduce the amount of top material lost on the inside. Since most synthetic racing surfaces depend on vertical drainage and usually have flat straight sections, more flexibility is given to the banking used in corners there. When it comes to banking in general, the goal is to balance the speed and the gait of the horse with the radius of the track along with the positioning of the jockey. Okay, now that we've talked about what's going on underneath the horses, let's talk about what we can do when they're running in circles. Yeah, that means betting. The main thing you have to remember when you're gambling is to stay within your means. It's easy to walk up to the window or open the ADW app on your phone and throw down $20 on a horse, but just make sure you're doing it responsibly. The biggest difference between what horse racing does and what casinos do is that we don't give a darn whether you win or lose. The track takes their cut, or what we call takeout, off the top of the total money wagered in each race. There are different amounts by bet type, but the average is between 14 and 24 percent. This is due to the concept of paramutual wagering. Introduced in 1870 in Paris, the process is fairly simple. A player buys a ticket on the horse he wishes to back, all money for that race is pooled together and then paid out by wager type to the winning ticket holders, less what's called, as I said, takeout, basically the track's commission and tax for taking the bets. Nowadays, all the pools are calculated by tote systems, these computerized mega-machines that can handle fancy algorithms at warp speed, calculating betting pools and current odds on each horse that update every minute and feed into on-track simulcast feeds and ADW pages. Now the fun part. What do we bet? There are three types of wagers, single, exotic, and multi-leg. Not every type of bet is offered on every race, so it's important to look at the top of the program page for what the available wagers are. It's also important to note that you have to know the program number of the horse you're betting, especially if you're doing it at the mutual window. For example, if you were betting the 1973 Belmont Stakes back in the day, you would have said, I want $2 to win on number two not I want $2 to win on Secretariat, because the tote system works in binary code, so it needs numbers, not names. Now, on to the wagers. Single bets are win, place, and show. Win is first, place is second, show is third. If you play a straight win bet, you only cash if the horse crosses the wire first. If you play a straight place bet, you only get the money if they run second. Same with show for them running third. Now let's get a little more adventurous and look at exotic wagers. When it's a single race bet, they can also be called verticals. These are your exactas, quinellas, trifectas, superfectas, and super high fives. Exacta and quinella mean you correctly called the first two horses across the line. Trifecta is the first three, superfecta the first four, and as the name suggests, super high five is five. Racing often gets a little insidery with our terms. Not so much on this stuff. There's even more so when we look at horizontal wagers, those that require picking winners of multiple races in a row. These are super self-explanatory name-wise. 
Daily double means back-to-back -back races. Pick threes are three straight. Pick fours are four. Pick fives are five. And pick sixes are six. One of my biggest tips for newcomers is that you can increase your odds of cashing an exotic ticket by asking for the bet to be boxed. This means the horses you pick for exactas, trifectas, and superfectas can come in any order as long as it's those specific runners. Another super popular question is how much can you bet? Well, the minimum for win or place or show in North America is $2 each. If you play a combination like win place or play show, you're looking at a $4 investment and win place show costs you $6. When it comes to exotics and multi-legs, Answering what minimums are gets a bit trickier because every track and or jurisdiction tends to be different. But basically think of it as a $1 for exactas, quinellas, trifectas, super high fives, and multi-legs like pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, pick sixes. A lot of folks now have 50 cent minimums, so definitely check the wagering menu for each race you're playing. One thing that always surprises people about exotics and multi-leg bets is that you can pick more than the amount of horses in the name of the wager. So, for example, you can play an exacta using three horses versus just the required two. Same with pick fours. You can single one horse in each leg of the sequence, but you can also buy yourself more possible winning combinations by going several horses deep in some or all legs. Just know that every additional horse means an additional possible combination means a higher investment. As we get into the gallop out portion of today's show, thank you for joining me on a quick recap of Racing's Basics. Much appreciation, as always, to my tiny production crew and the good folks at the Believe Network for the chance to share this show with y'all. Remember to like and comment and subscribe and share and whatever else you can do from whichever platform you're listening on. If there's something about horse racing you want to know more about, Drop us a note at ask at beyondtheracetrack.com or on any of our socials, all of which can be found on beyondtheracetrack.com. I am Molly Jo Rosen, and I will see you back here next week as we once again go Beyond the Racetrack. This is going to be a wild ride. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.